in in every scenario of my life, uh, I don't want to call it that cast. They have built me, and that's why I'm in a flight or flight type of mode because that's giving too much credit to trauma and trauma. Not only only trauma is giving credit to the people who have created the trauma, and I am the type of person who refused to give credit to that. I rather say, "You did this. I'll be better, and I'll prove you wrong." Knocking doors down, your host, Jason LeChan, certified recovery coach, maybe a little certifiable. I don't know. Hey, it's 2024 and it's time to get things in gear, right? Well, I'm excited because I've got not only a guest, but a guest co-host on this episode. My guest, Darlene Bornola Mahoney. Darlene opens up about so much in her life. I mean, not only growing up in the jungles of Peru, how she came to America. I mean, she slept in an airport bathroom her first night here and she wasn't even 18 years old. Darlene opens up about so much of the trauma that she went through and experienced in life, how she's rebounded, handled it all and persevered. And yeah, I mentioned a co-host. It's my man, a mentor, a friend, Mike Diamond. It's cool to have Mike on this episode. We have an amazing conversation, lots of insight, lots of stuff for you to think about. And if anything, it'll open up your mind to the fact that like it did me, hey, I've got problems, but so does everybody else. And uh, Darlene is a true example of knocking doors down in life. And if this is your first time listening to the Knocking Doors Down podcast, do me a favor, hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave a five-star rating and a review or Spotify, leave that five-star rating. And please share the podcast with someone else. That's how I continue to grow. It's all because of you and I can't thank you enough. And if you want, give a follow on social media. All the links are in the podcast description. It's time to get to my guest, Darlene Bornola Mahoney, and special guest co-host, Mike Diamond. Uh, This is going to be a fun one, guys. Uh, Darlene Mahoney, thank you for joining me. And a guest co-host, not only a friend, a mentor, Mike Diamond. Uh, Man, we're going to get into it today, but uh, thank you, Darlene. You look gorgeous as always. Mike, Thanks. so do you. <laughs> well, I do. I try to like get some lighting on my face, kind of, kind of fudge it up, you know. I'm like, well, I put make my accent right. Yeah. What were you gonna say, darling? I said we need filters next time. No, stop. You look gorgeous. <laughs> life is a filter. We got to. Hey, life is a filter, right? Life is a filter. Uh, and speaking of, we're going to really dig into it. I mean, I, I'm just now getting to know you, and I already love you, Darlene. And but um, I appreciate you coming on here and sharing some. I mean, boy, we're going to go all kinds of places. My curiosity, as I'm getting to know you, is I, I want to know little you because you know I, I already did the intro. I talked about you, your sister appearing in playboy and other stuff but i don't really know you what do you want to know <laughs> let's, let's start early you want to start let's start early let's start back let's jump i think it's important to jump back to childhood especially as i'm starting to get to know you i think it's going to help frame a lot of the stuff we'll talk about trauma wise that, that, that has occurred through life so take me i don't know little darlene what was life like what were you like little darlene was always a big darling believe it or not I always had like, uh, in a way, a uh, God, I don't know. I kind of think I always were. I was very different, very different compared to everybody else. I 
um, life had taught me how to, unfortunately, instead of have a normal childhood, how I had to defend for myself and how I had to protect myself. So I was always a very tough cookie to crack, you know, like I just, uh, it, it, unfortunately, unfortunately it did follow me in life, but there's, um, some habits that I kind of learned that before you get me, I'll, I'll get you, but not in a bad kind of way is more in a defensive type of way. Um, I did went through a, a lot of abuse in my childhood and, um, and the good thing about that, because I always find the benefit of everything negative is that I was able to know what was, what I didn't want for my daughter, because I do have a 22 year old daughter. So I, those lessons kind of taught me how, what not the mistakes not to make on raising a child. Um, I was brought up pretty much on my own since I was a child. I was pretty, my mom was one out of 16 kids. So I was, and she was the youngest one and uh, the only one divorced in the family. So obviously that wasn't looked up, uh, look, look, it was looked down on back in the days, especially coming from, uh, my mother was, uh, is from Peru and her, the Latin community that's at that time was not looked that wasn't looked good on. So uh, her being extremely young when she had me, uh, 15 years old, and uh, not having a life experience, it really didn't leave her to be a a mother that maybe she would potentially be able to be a good mother, but she had no idea how to raise a kid, you know? So yeah. I, I don't blame her for that. She was extremely young. It took me a very long time to actually say that. Very long time to be able to say that. But at the same time, um, I, you know what? I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for me being able to stand up for myself. And uh, uh, she had uh, family members that were really great. And some of them are assholes. I mean, there's no other <laughs> way. And that was, and that's me actually being kind saying just that. And uh, they were with their own rights, obviously, because who wants to be raising somebody else's kids? You know, I mean, I see both sides of, of uh, I could be very, understanding in both sides at the same time there's no need to abuse children when you could just say no yeah have your kid around or whatever it is but i do have very interesting stories and how i stood up for myself and some way somehow they always get their way you know they they get their their little payback here and there not from me but you know well actually it was from me <laughs> but, but i did uh, ways to kind of be able to move on from those experiences sure i want to extrapolate some go ahead mike yeah I was saying, I want to extrapolate some stuff from that. So I'm hearing mom, mom was uh, uh, around 16 years old when you're born. Um, obviously a baby having a baby, you know, exactly. I mean, I was 30 and I still was like, what the f Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Mike, you were what? Uh, 40. You were to my phone. To my forties, and even then, I was like, "What am I doing?" <laughs> right? But this is so, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you grow up then in Peru, or did did you come to America? What was the situation with the family there? I kind of want to understand the dynamic. I mean, I'm assuming maybe Catholic family or something. You know, I'm trying to get the overall picture here. Well, my um, my mother was. 
married with a Italian American uh, older man mm-hmm. uh, who went to Peru visit. Obviously, back in the day, it was very common to get married at 15 years old. Very smart to catch it, catch her at 15. And we were um, we were born in California. And then uh, it was like a war between both of them because her being young and immature, him being whatever he was, because I don't have a relationship or ever had a relationship with him, um, just maybe a couple interactions. So it was constantly that it was extremely weird because I don't remember anything of this, but I do know that her family would tell us there was him going and kidnapping us. And then my mom coming and kidnapping us to the United States. And then it was just this back and forth until probably um, four or five years old. And, um, and, you know, so pretty much her, she remarried and she was young and had a, was living in her life. So she was, I don't remember my mom too much in my childhood. It's, it was very, um, it, it was very weird. I just have very little memories of her in, in our childhood up until maybe I was 13 years old, mm. you know, and she was coming in and out and into, into my life. But like I said, she was very young. So, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things in, in the, and in maybe I'm not going to generalize in the Latin culture, but usually, you know, they always have the grandma taking care of the kids or somebody and my and my mom being the youngest one and having such a huge family was very easy to just put us in a position, somebody would keep us or something like that. So I pretty much was brought up on my own. Uh, My mom did not believe at the time in um, in education, uh, it was like, oh, one day you'll get married. You don't need to have an indication. So I literally mm. they didn't even have an elementary. Uh, I never even even finished elementary school. So everything that I learned was on my own. I learned how to read and write in Spanish by myself. Um, I, I, I mean, it was pretty much my mom would pay for us to get a past grades when I just never went to school. Um, I could very, I mean, I could remember very few times that I actually did go to school. Um, And then I just pretty much, I I literally, I really have to say that I brought myself up, you know, because it was just the only way. And when I was 15 years old, um, my, I just had, was looking at all my cousins and of course I have a bunch of them, you know, out of so many uncles and aunts. And I was seeing everyone going to call, going to college and going to medical school and doing this. And I was like, God damn, I want to do that. Like, I want to go to school and I want to do the things everybody else is doing. And here I'm stuck in the middle of the jungle doing shit, hanging out for freaking trees and doing stuff like that, <laughs> you know, barefoot. So I'm like, I want to, I wanted more in life. And I remember that, I mean, literally I was on top of a mountain. Um, I don't know how you got, how it says like pushing cows down to bring him to the barn. And I was sitting there and I was like, I just want more in life. And, and, um, in hearing everybody, how they had their, my cousins had their education and how they were doing, uh, I just came up with the idea. I remember, obviously I remember, and I didn't speak English at the time or, or learn how to write or read or anything. And I remember saying, you know what? I, 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 I remember a conversation saying that when you are an American, you could go to the army and they give you a free education. Hmm. 
and they give you and you could go to college. So I I think I was I had just turned 15 years old and I have um, finally I, my mom was kind of around and I did tell her that I wanted to go to United States and, and, and go to the army. And, you know, and she was like, yeah, you know, and uh, my I literally my mom gave me three hundred dollars to come here at 15 years old with uh, with my obviously with a ticket. And um, I just came and I was just, I remember at the airplane back then you could be, you could smoke cigarettes. You know? <laughs> right. so I was like, oh, fuck yes. I was like, <laughs> cigarettes and I was smoking in the airplane thinking like I'm all such an adult. Little did I know that reality was going to strike really hard when I came to the United States. So I remember coming to Florida and, um, and I know I had a cousin that my cousin had literally five roommates in a one bedroom apartment. Oh, and they were all guys. So my, it, he was so kind enough to, to let us stay there. And I had like <laughs> little, little, and the, I mean, the, the apartment was divided between four places plus the bedroom. So I had like this little place and I was like, Oh, fuck it. You know, I'm going to go to the army anyway. So I'm not going to stay here. <laughs> next thing I know, I go to, you know, to the army office. And of course I was not going to get there. You need parents permission. You need to speak English. You need to learn how to read and write all this stuff. And I was just screw. I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be a nightmare, but I didn't want to go back. So I said, fuck it. I'll start working, you know, whatever it is. And um, what I did is I, I eventually made sure I had no friends who spoke English I didn't, I'm sorry, no, nobody who speaks Spanish, I will surround myself with because right. that was my way I was going to learn. And, um, and not that I was being, you know, uh, like, oh, I don't want to hang out with a lot of people, but that was the way that I was going to survive. And eventually I got a job and my first job was at McDonald's and I ended up having like three different jobs. I remember, uh, then end up finding a place where I could live on my, by myself. And I literally would go to dumps. I, I got an apartment and I would go to dumpsters to get clothes. I found the TV and little by little, I literally built my apartment. So it was very, um, it was very gratifying to be able to do that. And um, in my, one of my jobs was extremely far, but I realized that if I took the bus, the back then was like a dollar a day. I had to go take the bus besides the other jobs that I would walk. So I was like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to be too much money. It's like $30 a month if I have to work every day and I have to go. So I bought roller skates. Of course. <laughs> Who wouldn't buy roller yeah. skates, right? Roller skates, of course. And what a stupid idea. I'm Florida <laughs> where it rains half of the fucking time, you know? <laughs> of course, I didn't realize that that, that was going to be a problem, but uh. I would rollerblade for hours going back in the middle of the night coming back. And that's the way I started saving money to be able to survive. And and yeah, pretty much after that, Jesus, after that, uh, I had a cousin who lived in New York and, uh, and, uh, there was actually one question. Can I ask you one question? I got this cause this is so great. Cause I didn't know some of this. I didn't know. Oh. it. So, so you, you, cause you have a twin Carol. Knocking doors down by Carlos Vieira now available wherever you get audio books. I wasn't done partying and I didn't want the binge to end. I think I knew that when I finally got home, I'd have to face what I had done, and I wasn't ready to do that. Being responsible for my actions wasn't something I was looking forward to. I had abandoned my wife and baby, my family, and my business. 
I wanted to avoid the shame of returning to what I had left behind. Even though I was not yet going home, I wasn't sure I had enough resources to continue the binge. Click the link in the podcast description to find out more. Yes. Where was Carol at this time? And the second question I want to ask you is, so how did you, all right, because you got you got to unpack this a little bit. It's so great. You have a twin sister. You move here with nothing, right? Thank God you have your visa because without a visa, you'd be screwed. But lucky, you, you have, yeah, right? You, you, you're shopping out of dumpsters. Incredible, right? You're rollerblading. So amazing that you're rollerblading back and forth. Where is Carol? And secondly, when you're doing that, how are you learning English? Oh, okay. So to answer the first question, um, regarding Carol, um, honestly, it's very weird because I don't remember her in my childhood, neither remember her in those times of my life. And even if I did remember, I think it's very personal for, for her, her own story, and I don't speak for others. So I could, but honestly, I really don't, don't think I don't remember her during my life. It's very it's trauma. Is that trauma? No, it's more like focus. For me, it has nothing okay. to do with trauma. It's more focused to the only thing I had control of was me and, and I can not depend on what anybody else is. So I had to focus on what I could do versus focus on what she's doing, what she's, plus she, I mean, not for anything, she's a fuck. I, I, mean, I mean. So where did you move to? So you, so then mm-hmm. from then you learn English and you moved to New York or how'd you get to New York? Well. Because I, I met you in 1997. Seven, yeah, that was way earlier before that. I'm talking about when I was 15. So at, um, how I learned how to speak English was I would go every day to, there was a mall maybe like 10 blocks away. So I would literally go to the mall every day and whatever I was able to afford was a pizza and a Diet Coke. So <laughs> I would literally ask this only people who look like American. I would ask, you know, and they would tell me what, what? And I would try to answer the questions and kind of do and literally watching TV and listening to music. I would learn words that way. So that's, <laughs> where, <laughs> that's where she learned the phrase trick ass bitches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I want to kind of jump back though, because Mike, I think you were on to a point here and I, I would, I'm asking this to maybe Darlene, have you question it. You know, when I'm hearing how Mike asked trauma and you say, no, 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 I was focused on self. I'm hearing like almost a constant state of fight or flight. Yes. I mean, Mike, aren't you kind of and 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 to me, that is kind of a it's not to, it's not totally those trauma brain things per se, but it but that survival mode does have a a, a molding. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't. I think. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, because I remember when someone asked me when my brother was in the coma and um, my sister was premature, I remember a lot of it, but then this part of it that I just, it just, I had to figure it out. Like you had to, fi- you had to figure it out. I'm either going to die here and be in pain or i got to figure this out. Um, so I think you're the same. You just, I think the switch goes off. But here's the thing. We're gonna we're, we're gonna go we're gonna go a little bit all over the place. You, you write scripts now, mm-hmm. right? And and they're good. They're good. I mean, I'm your friend, but you know, if they were oh. crap, I would say I write them on a napkin and say you're adorable, but this is crap. They're really good. 
And that's why a, we love you, Mike, because you'll tell right? us the truth. No, it's no true. And, then, and then you write a you write a, a book, and that's really good. And and then I'm trying to figure out how you process because most people with that kind of adversity and suffering just they can't process. So what's what's what goes on? Because it's important for people to understand. Because you get overwhelmed with massive amounts of trauma. I've known a lot of the stuff, and we'll get into it. But what what's the trigger? Is it is it because because someone asked me the other day, is it nature or nurture? But I think it's in the human being because I can. I think there's two types of people, and there's different personalities. But I think there's the person that walks in. And, and talks themselves into brain cancer and they've got a headache. And then there's the person with brain cancer and says, I've got a headache mm-hmm. and they can switch. And you're one of those people that has the switch. You can just yeah. somehow figure it out. Talk about that. What goes on in you? Like what in your DNA gives you the courage to, to be authentic? Um, I think is the fact. in in every scenario of my life, uh, I don't want to call it this trauma that have built me. And that's why I'm in a flight or flight type of mode, because that's giving too much credit to trauma and trauma. Not only only trauma is giving credit to the people who have created the trauma. And I am the type of person who refused to give credit to that. I rather say you did this. I'll be better. And I'll prove you wrong versus giving credit to, uh, a flight or uh, do you know what I mean? It's kind of hard for me is it's my, my life has been, especially when I've been through so much trauma is been, I'll prove you wrong. I'll, I'll prove you that you, whatever you have done to me will not change, will not mold me, will not make me any different. And I'll give you a big, big example. This is how I recognize how, where it started. I remember that um, my aunts were very evil and that's being very, giving them a compliment, just saying evil. They were very evil. And I remember them very, very abusive. Um, They would beat me if uh, my grandma, I was at times when my grandma was there and when they would come to visit, they would threaten me that if I ate the food, they will beat me up. So I will never eat. And I will be like extremely skinny because they would bring like all these feast of stuff. And then I will have to sit down in the dining room table and just look and tell my grandma, oh, no, I'm not hungry. But I wouldn't tell my grandma what they would do to me because I feel so bad for her that she would ever realize that her kids were so evil. So I never told my grandma about it. And I just kept it in. And I remember my grandma had went out one night and I was one of the rebel things that I just said, and I said, fuck, it, I was hungry. I was going to eat, you know, so I ate and my grandma <laughs> went out and then, uh, and then they obviously would beat me up. And one of the things they loved to do was torture me and put me in the winter time in cold waters in showers and cold showers. And uh-huh. I remember I was six years old. I know they're fucking crazy. And I remember I was six years old and I will stand there looking at them and will not share a fucking tear. Uh-huh. Because mm. I was no fucking way they were going to get the best of me. And I will stay there and they will be like, oh, beating me up. And I will not shed a tear. Of course, I cried my ass off after it was done. But that 
for me, that was so empowering, empowering this, not to give them the satisfaction to see me broken, not to give them the satisfaction, whatever they were fucking doing to me, that they were going to get the best of me. So that kind of molded me in my life to kind of say, I'm not going to let whoever does something to me change who I was or, or change the fact that that was going to make me, um, a, a bad person or, 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 or hurt other people or, or anything like that. And, 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 and listen, and there was times that I would tell my mom about it when I would see her and she's like, Oh, you were probably not being good. And, and there was, even, <laughs> yeah, so, well, but it, oh, oh, trust me. It, it just, it, it's, it's actually really good because I will fucking grab rats like little mice and fucking put them in their bedroom and their fucking purses. And I'll be like, Hey, I got you a gift. And fucking a, a cockroach. Well, I, I mean, trust me that they, they didn't go without harm in my own way. I kind of at least got them a little scared. And I remember one time my mom had came out from out of town or where she was. And, um, and uh, I was literally in the kitchen and one of her sisters were there visiting and she, I was cooking something and she grabbed it, threw it in the floor. And I looked at her and I was like, Oh, you fucking bitch. Like I said something like I cursed at her and then, uh, and she went and told my mom and she was crying saying, Oh my God, she disrespected me. She's always like this. And I remember going back in my, and where my mom was in her room and she's like, why did you do that? And I said, no, that's not how it went. She told me that about it. She's like, well, you know, she's old. You need to go apologize. And I was like, fuck, no, I'm not going to apologize. I mean, I was, I will rather get a beaten. I will rather do a, get tortured a million times before I apologize for something that I did not do. Yes. And insult her, but that didn't matter. I mean, you start, if you do a one, I'm going to do a 10, you know, it's not going to go. Uh, I'm going to defend myself. So my, I mean, my mom was pissed at me and she's like, oh, no, you don't understand. You have to apologize. Da, 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 da. And then I had to walk and I was crying like there were, I mean, that honestly, if anything had any more impact to me was that moment in my life. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, not even the torture, not that moment that I had to go say, I'm sorry. So I go down the stairs and this fucking witch is there and I'm sitting there and I'm standing there and I'm looking. She's actually like cleaning her tears and acting a fucking victim and shit. And then I just told her, um, by the way, I'm only coming here because my mom made me tell you that I have to say I'm sorry, but I'm not fucking sorry. And I just <laughs> and then obviously I got punished for that one. But fuck it. At least I said uh -huh. To say so that's yeah. just how i survived all right it's so you know i've been getting to know you for a bit and i'm mike i mean guess a year year and a half we know each other your guys's friendship just now made total sense to me i've never all met right. i've never <laughs> met two people that have achieved so much after just like like hey my childhood was, had some stuff too but i don't remember much of that i now but uh -huh. like like the way you were talked to, Darlene and Mike, I know the way nah. that you, you're still talked to that way. Yeah, I know. I just people talk to me like I'm like I'm like I'm the wrong guy. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, honey well, that's badger how you get That's why I mean, uh, Mike and I have been friends for how many years? Ninety. Well, let's go into that. So, yeah, let's. Basically, I, I was, I was, I moved to America in ninety end of ninety six, ninety seven, and ninety seven, ninety eight. I was working at this club called um chaos yeah 97 that's right and um it was funny because 
the owner of the club. I got I got a big breakdown there. Tony Theodore, Michael, Michael Lott, and David Sauna literally discovered me <laughs> on the beach. And um and it was funny because Tony was dating this girl called Carol. And he said, you know, I'm really in I, well, he was trying to trying to pick up this girl, Carol. And anyway, Carol came up. She was dating someone else at the time. And then lo and behold, uh, she said, Hey, my sister's coming. Could you take her over the club? I said, Yeah, whatever. And it's like a thousand people trying to get in. And I thought I was seeing things because Darlene walks up with this girl, Maria. And I'm thinking, I thought Carol was in the back of the club. And I'm like, wait, who are you? <laughs> she goes, I'm Darlene. I go, Darlene, who? She goes, Carol's twin sister. I go, there's two of you? Like, what is this? This is crazy. Mike, Mike was actually like, oh, my God, Carol, you look so much prettier. What have you done to you? Right? <laughs> I was like, Carol, there was a few adjustments you had to make, and I can't believe you made Great them in job. an hour. <laughs> <Great job. laughs> oh, Have you dug into the archives of past Knocking Doors Down podcast episodes? The Knocking Doors Down podcast archive is available to you for free. Check it out. Here's a snippet from when Charlie Sheen was on the podcast. AA is not the best place for... Um for a famous atheist. Uh, just, I kept looking for that chapter. What, you know? So, yeah, um, but it's not a one-size-fits-all, sure, you yeah. know? It's like, it's like saying that we all think the same, like our brains are built the same. They're just not. Right. Yeah. There's, there's such uniqueness involved. Check out this episode and so many more in the Knockin' Doors Down archive. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. And share with somebody else that you know will get value out of the Knocking Doors Down podcast. But um, so we became uh. friends, and but let's go into this crazy story. So, Darlene, you go to Iowa, right? Because you had a fiance at the time, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And let's talk. It's crazy. Let's go. Let's let's. So you go to Iowa to get. You're engaged, right? Well, we met when before I went to Iowa. That's Correct. the first, yeah, that we went before. And then um, I was getting married in Iowa. Uh, I, I fell in love with this amazing man, um, uh, Andy. And then he was from Iowa and we met in Peru because I was living in Peru at the time. So I have came to, yes, I was living in Peru at the time. And I had came to Miami to get, uh, I know it sounds super weird, but I wanted to get married with jeans and a in a white shirt and a t-shirt or a, a a little top or a white tank top crazy of course you know so i had went to miami and i was like okay i'm going to find something that i could i still actually have this shirt believe it or not that i was going to get married in believe it or not i do i'm a collector's item but um, <laughs> i have collectorship but a memorabilia so then um so then we we go to iowa and uh and uh, we were gonna get married in this beautiful rose garden and all that, and all of this. And uh, I remember the very ironic part of this is that he had Playboy magazines in his house in Iowa. And I had said to him, if I'm marrying you, you better throw this shit away because this is not happening. And he's like, no, 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 wait a second. And he opens the magazine and he's like, look, they're doing the millennium play me search and i'm like i'm not gonna do that and he's like no you don't understand all my friends and he's a marine so like he's like all my friends say that you that oh my god that you should do it i'm like uh no 
And he literally, he's like, this, you should. I say, trust me, you you could do this. And I'm like, and he literally took some pictures of me. And I still have that, those pictures to this day that he took from me. And then, um, and he's like, okay, so we get the phone, we go fill up the paper so we could get married. And um, and we get the phone call that, oh, yes, we, um, it was September 1st, if I'm not mistaken, um, that we're going to, that we have a place for you guys to get married the next day. We're like, awesome. Okay. So he's obviously, I'm like, imagine me in Iowa. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm like an alien who showed up in Iowa. It was like the funniest thing in the world. I'm like wearing my heels on, you know, super like, so not Iowa. And then um, I go to, uh, we're, we're planning, he's making the phone calls and all that stuff. And he's like, okay, great. You know, we let's, um, uh, we have planned uh, that we were going to meet his friends at a bar that night that night so he's like you know what i'm kind of hungry why we don't go to to uh to get um to get some pizza and some food and all that stuff there's more in deep into it like something really a bit it's it's too long but anyways so then um we go to uh we're we're driving and it literally they had told us the next that we were going to get married the next day at two o'clock i remember exactly the time and he looks at the time and he's like hey look and I, and he's like uh in exactly 24 hours i'll get to call you my wife huh. and then um we get into a car accident and uh he didn't survive and um and I did survive and um, I barely survived. So they had to, uh, long story, but they just had to fly me to a different state. And then that was the end of that one. Awesome. <laughs> and then I, um, oh yeah, and then that's where you come. That's where you, that's where you come. So I had three, yeah. three months of recuperation. I think I had two and a half in um, Iowa recuperating because I had broken my pelvis in three pieces. I had um, concussion, collapsed lung and a bunch of internal stuff and uh, broken hand and, you know, the, you know, the all the stuff that comes with it. And then, um, then they transferred me um, a month, uh, two months later, whatever, to Florida, where I was recuperating. They, ha they were waiting for me to be stable enough so I could, um, have surgery because uh so i could learn how to walk again um and then um you know for some fucking miracle i never needed surgery and i just recuperated a month in there and then um here i come hopping along months later and then i meet mr mike again <laughs> <laughs> my crutches and stuff she's like, like her sister goes i go what happened to your sister she get married she goes no, it's bad. I go, how bad? She's like, the guy died and she's got in a bad accident. I'm like, what are you talking about? So she, there was a, um, I can't remember the place. It was on Ocean Drive. It was horrible. It was, just, it was a bar. It was really bad. What was it called? Oh, my God. I used to sell these big Slurpee drinks. And your <laughs> sister, oh, was Fat Tuesdays. That's it. That's it. And, and she goes, she goes, let's go to Fat Tuesdays. I was like, and do what? She's like, well, it's loud and my sister will have fun. So Carol dropped, said, I'll meet her there and chopped her off. And she was kind of getting by. And I'm like, oh, my God, you poor thing. And then we clicked. We just started chatting and being friends. And then it was funny because I moved to New York in 90, 98. 
And you came up to New York when? Me? Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, wait, when Carol gave birth. No, that was way after, though. Because when I was I was working at this club called Chaos, then and 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 you were dating Mike Piazza. Oh yeah. And then you got the millennial things. Uh, Two thousand. Well, ninety eight. I was running this hot club, yeah. and then she was dating Mike Piazza, and she was dating Mike Piazza at the time where the Yankees and the Mets were playing, and it was really big time. And she was in. And she was at the millennial twin and. She did the they did the Playboy event at the club, and Hugh Hefner came in. It was pretty cool stuff. It was like, wow, this is this is pretty serious for a girl that was like hopping along in Miami. Yeah, disabled. She can't even speak, and now she's on the castle. I'm thinking more about the girl that said the one that said she couldn't speak when you came to the country. I ate out of the bin, not me. You said that. Yeah, yeah but I already was speaking English, asshole, at that time. I already actually. Good English. Um, you learned English off songs you people were, you could have said. That's why she says, <laughs> bitch, better have my money. Come on. No, hey, listen, don't forget that at 18 years old, I actually moved to New York because I heard that when you make, um, obviously, I'm like the hopeless romantic dreamer. Fucking my, my life, I just want everything to be like, like no fucking way. And I, my cousin had told me, hey, do you know that if you make it in New York, you can make it anywhere? And I was 18 years old. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to New York. I'm going to make it, you know? So obviously it was not going to be that easy. And at this time, I didn't know how to speak English, but I didn't know how to write or read. I was working in a bar literally a block away from the World Trade Center where all the beautiful, these beautiful men in suits would come out and stuff like that. But I was just 18, so I couldn't serve liquor. So I was a bar, the bartender server, whatever they call uh, it. Bar back. No, 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 no. No, they have a um they have a server that stands in the service station that before the bartender. Service yeah, bartender. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, one of those things. So, yeah. So then wow. I um uh, one of the brokers uh, from the floor and my cousin was like, obviously my cousin Tanya is gorgeous, beautiful. And, you know, but she didn't have her papers then, but somebody had offered her a job um, in the, in the, as an assistant broker for this whole firm. And then, uh, and then she's like, no, I can't do it. And she's like, hey, you got papers. Why don't you go do it? I'm like, are you out of your fucking mind? I don't even know how to read and write. What am I going to do? What's a broker? What's a trade? You know? And she's like, I'm like, no, no, trust me. You should just go try it. And I was like, fuck it. You know, why not? You know, so I go. Wait, bartending or trading? No, trading. Like a system. Oh. Yeah. In commodity. I think you're talking about bartending. Oh, okay. Oh, no, no. Like they offer her a job, like you know, to do an assistant broker and whatever. So then I'm like, oh, fuck it. You know, I'll, I'll try it. So here I go. You know, for I'm like thinking, I don't even know what the hell's a trade or what is anything. So I'm walking in and I walk into the floor. You know how like um, in the movie Coming to America, is it Coming to America? Where they go to that—that's exact place I walk into, right? So I walk into, and they're like the most beautiful men with suits, and I'm like, Jesus, I just fucking landed in heaven. I need <laughs> this place, you know. And then, um, so I had this interview with with uh, with a guy who actually ended up being my boss, 
And um, in the interview, he's telling me all the stuff that I'm supposed to do. And I have to like take a class or some whatever and whatever. And I'm like, I have no idea what he's talking about. I have no fucking idea what I've never seen a computer in my life or anything. So I was just like, oh, fuck it. You know, I say, well, I tell him, it's like, do you mind if I could, I'll come in here every day for free and, you know, and I can follow people and see what they're doing. Shit. I got the job like two months later. Two months mm. later, following people, and I knew exactly what I was doing. And I literally ended up managing every one of my bro, every one of my company's brokers' trades for till I was twenty-one. Then I found boom. How about that for you? Well, fucking wow. speaking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking no, more you, about the girl wait, that was burning cows wait, off wait, of a hill. Yeah, yeah. you know. She, Are you like, still uh, the cow <laughs> Yeah, but first of all, you're the one that said about you came here and learning English off bad hip hop songs and eighties music. So all right. So let's fast and you're like you know, Chicago. Right. Okay. That's a good song. So let's fast forward a second. Can we can we um So wait hold so on. much like go. Mike, here I wanna go. stop this. Because so again, I have just got me a little choked up hearing about your fiance the past. Um, like, I'm still sorry. Like, yeah. Ugh. But the interesting thing that occurred there was he sent off the photos. I'm guessing it was maybe Polaroids then to Playboy. When does that come into play then? Oh, well, I'm not that old for Polaroids. Okay. We were having films at that time, like cameras. There was still okay. Polaroids. No, no, no. Cause I did Polaroids back in 97. Yeah. There was still I was, Polaroids. I they used to do stuff on Polaroids. Well, we were doing the, yeah. the regular camera, you know, okay. with the film and all that. Well, I know, but they still did small Polaroids. Oh, right? whatever. Castings. Casting. <laughs> they were doing Polaroids in castings. They did. Yes. Anyway, go, go, Jason. Uh, anyway, go, yeah. so um, that actually didn't come around until <laughs> after my accident. Uh, the Playboy was doing the worldwide search for the Millennium Playmate, and the last place where they had the final the end of the search was in miami and it was in chaos hmm. in my sister's nightclub oh, hold on but did you do but did you do it as twins or did we originally was that yeah. was that his idea to do it as twins or as twins no, or not? no no he didn't even know that i had a sister like you know he, it was never again it's like i lived in peru carol lived in florida so for it was like had nothing to do it was completely crazy how weird things had happened wow. um, the last the last place where they searched was in Florida and it was in my sister's nightclub and a, somebody from Playboy, because they were doing the big finale, whatever. And somebody in Playboy said, looked at my sister and says like, Hey, have you done the trial, you know, for the, for the search? And, you know, my sister being what she is, you know, how she is, she's like, I'm not going to do a line with 500, whatever woman. And then, then this guy goes like, well, what if I get you a one-on-one with the senior editor of Playboy? And she said, yeah. But at that time I was still in the hospital and I was still learning how to walk. So when that happened, he, uh, no, I was already out of the hospital. I was just learning how to walk and just getting myself just there, but I was all fucked up obviously. And then, um, they uh she went to the meeting with Marilyn Growalski and then when my sister walked into the meeting the, the Marilyn said oh my god I'm gonna make you rich and famous and then mm -hmm. she's like oh by the way I happen to have an identical twin sister and she fucking lost it so they waited literally a year for me to recuperate so I could be able uh, for me to be able to shoot 
Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, oh he's right. supposed to be my friend, huh? <laughs> yeah, we didn't get to that details. I didn't know it was a year. I thought you just kind of like you put on a fake leg and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, because of the accident. Hip of a 22 year old. They give you a new hip and you're off to go. That's the no, I didn't, need, I didn't need a new hip. I know, I'm joking. Um, all right, so. Huh. Can we talk about uh, the last few months, or is it too 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 deep? Like any kind of like, it's up to you. Go for it. I mean, fuck, might as well. Well, it's. Kind I mean, of- I'm just asking. I just like it's like right right now yeah. you're going through some stuff, right? Let's but it's up to you. All right. Go. So, um, <clears throat> without I getting you're into- gonna fucking cut it out. I don't want my makeup to get all fucked <laughs> nah, up. That's all right. No, no. Well, like <laughs> like since COVID's been pretty rough. Yes. You had a COVID a couple of times. You only died during COVID. I remember actually getting a voicemail uh, from you. Um, and it was like, oh, my God, that was when COVID hit. And then um, your husband got it really bad. And then, unfortunately, just recently, he, you know, he passed. And now you're at this point, now you're at this crossroads that you've got to reinvent yourself, right? It's like two, two, two losses at, at such a young age and... You know, now you got to use these setbacks to step forwards, right? Yes. What's the question, though? <laughs> well, the question is how you, how, do you, how are you getting up and getting through it? Fuck. Um, how? I have – this one is a tough one. This one's – God, this one's a really tough one because it's – um. I invested a lot of time in my family and my family is, you know, as I am, I was trying at some point to start my career as a writer is when all this COVID thing happened. And um, at the time, my husband uh, was dealing with some problems and he was uh, uh, getting out of rehab and, um, and then at that time, uh, I I had a beautiful three months of of getting the real him, and mm-hmm. then COVID COVID hit, and um, he literally was dying on me almost every month. He was dying on me from COVID. Um, his lungs turned into crystal. It affected him in every way, shape, and form. Um, it, it was very debilitating for him because he he never was able to be the same man that he that he this his potential that what he was um in the meantime uh you know he couldn't work anymore uh he he at that time we were very well economically and we just had to just the way to survive was starting to sell our properties and whatever we could and um, and I unfortunately at the time in the first years, the year two two years of uh, since COVID happened, I couldn't work because I was ill as well. I barely was able to get out of bed. Um, everything in my body burned. It, it was like my body was on fire. That's where actually the benefit of that that I was so much in bed that I learned how to draw because I had nothing else to do. And, and unfortunately, my motivation to write wasn't not there because. I I had like the memory fog, the it, it just was just 
it was really bad. I, in, um, and I also had lost, I was like a hundred pounds. I had lost so much weight. I couldn't eat. It was affecting me in every way. Um, and I still, I'm a long hauler. I, 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 um, they still haven't found, but I think they call it pops or whatever. I do have heart issues. Mm. I literally, maybe monthly, I go to the hospital, an emergency room. I was just there maybe like two weeks ago because my heart goes from, I could be sitting down and it goes to like 150 doing nothing. And I go, it has gotten almost to 200. So if for a long, the the thing that I have to do is the set, if it goes for too long, I have to immediately go to the ER and to tell me again, like, sorry, we don't know what's wrong with you. I have a heart monitors. I have, have every fucking thing you can imagine, every doctor you can imagine. Nobody could give me a diagnosis. They just pretty much, I had one time gone there and I was crying so much because I was so tired of being in hospitals that they, that the, doctor was crying and said, I'm so sorry. I can't do anything for you. I'm so sorry. I know it's not fair. There's, I, we don't understand this. We don't know why this is happening. They literally would look at my heart and they'd be like, how is it that you've been here for like 45 minutes and your heart rate is still high and you're not doing anything. So it, it between me trying to still try to, 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 deal with my issues. My priority was my husband because he was really bad. Like he, uh, he really, really was really bad. And at the end of the day, um, it's, uh, it, it got the best of him, you know, uh, you know, he, he just, you know, he fell again in his, in, unfortunately, I, I understand this because I know what it is to feel depressed and to lose everything in life. And, and it just been, it was worse for him because he was a man, he was a provider, he was the head of the family. And um, unfortunately, he he just not too long ago, he just gave up. And, um, and that's been tough because the fact that trying to to get him, I'm going to fucking cry, the fight to uh, trying to save him was one of my most important things that I'd been trying to do for many years. And uh, and I couldn't save him because obviously, you know, it, 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 and it wasn't even in his own, it, I don't blame him because life is extremely hard and I don't wanna judge what he did because I, I, and I don't, and I don't also wanna say what he did was something that, oh my God, what a bravery, but I admire the fact that he chose his way and he did it his way. And I honored that I honored that even though that I couldn't give him, I couldn't, I couldn't make him stay here, but the peace that I find in my heart, knowing that he's no longer in pain, mm -hmm. that for me is worth more than anything because one way or the other, I know that I'm going to survive. I know that I'm going to be okay. I mean, fuck, there has to be a lesson on this one. I still don't understand which one is the lesson. And I say, oh, I'm like, all right, like, I mean, you better fucking give me a good reason for this shit because God damn it. It's like, oh my God. But, you know, I, if, if I, 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 if I do know that, that he's better. And that means more the world to me than having him here suffering. So that's the only way I kind of 
get through it just knowing that he's better right now and i mean god who wants to see somebody suffering all the time regardless of what it is and and it's selfish to want to keep him here when they just can't handle their pain anymore so i get it and that's how i just survive every day just knowing that he he's not having pain anymore i'm sorry i had to like i didn't know if you wanted to go there but it's just you're just uh, you're brave and so courageous and so talented and you have so much to give and so many people are going to <clears throat> admire your strength and uh, be inspired by your strength and motivated by your story and your strength. You know what I mean? And as I said, I never force you to like we're, we're best friends. Like you know what I mean? You tell you tell me <clears throat> unconditionally anything. So eventually, ends up, eventually ends up being a story in my life. And it, 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 you know as what? Weird as that sounds as weird as that sounds. For me, the more I talk about it, the more it sits in, and and because there they are. I mean, you know, Mike. There are days that it. You know, we were just talking about that. I think it was today or yesterday that. I felt always like, okay, I'm a special person, something I feel like I'm I'm a good person. Not I feel I know I'm a good person. I know that uh one of my worst qualities is I'm too empathetic and I gave too much and I always sacrifice myself because I think I could handle it. Because mm-hmm. I think that I am strong enough to handle it that I could give more of me because somebody else can't. And I thought that because I was that way, I was special. So when when I I found my husband, it, you know, I, I I was like I literally threw myself on top of him, and I figured if I hug him enough, if I love him enough, if I say enough, he's gonna c- come back. He's gonna come back, and and. And I still even that moment and I go days that I'm like, wait, if I if I cry enough, if I pray enough, if I give if I I will give my soul, whatever it is to get him back um, to make him to even though that I know he was in pain, I felt that I could help. I felt that I could help him and I felt that I could save him somehow. So realizing that that I not that I'm not special and not that I'm not that not I, I can achieve it, but it sits in your heart a reality that this is really life. Yeah. This is fucking life. And there's no fucking way of turning back such pain like this. I can't change the past. And for me is that I couldn't change his past. I couldn't change his pain. And in in every day that I talk about it, every day that I see it, it just it sits a little bit deeper inside my heart. And it does give me a little bit of kind of like, all right, darling, maybe today you don't need to cry as much. Maybe today you don't need to suffer as much because you know what? Guess what? Just like the next day, like the day before you did cry as he's not coming back. There's no miracles going to happen. You know, this type of miracle can't happen, unfortunately, because once they're gone, they're gone. And I can't create a miracle. I could create uh, give as much as I can to to save someone or or do something, but I can make miracles. And uh, no matter how fucking great I think I am, <laughs> like, I just can't do it. I just could do the best I can, and that's you know that's. I guess that's gonna have to be fulfilling enough for me to move on. 
How you want to bra- how you want to wrap it up, Jay? You have one last question. No, we're gonna jump into random questions. What did you forget? How did I do? I turned this into fun now. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I, I want to give you a hug when I meet you. I know the first thing I'm gonna do is just give you the biggest <laughs> hug. I love you. You're beautiful inside and out. Well, can you put a filter next time if you love me this much? <laughs> <laughs> Keep masking he me. does. He he does these great filter hugs. Oh, <laughs> fuck the hug! Put filter my face, dude. I got wrinkles. Uh, <laughs> I got wrinkles. What do you want? You're a guy. It doesn't matter. Uh, oh lord, guy Jay. <laughs> All right. Us. So we're gonna end up. Uh, we're gonna finish this up with fun random questions. So these are just so we can have a laugh to lighten it up, and then I'm gonna leave you with the final thoughts. So you're gonna get the floor for about you know a minute or so, thirty seconds, whatever you want to lend. But uh, all right, here we go. Um, what are pet peeves you have? Like little things that irk you, annoy you. Oh fuck! The bed not being done the second I wake up. Really. Oh my God! Yes, yes. That so. is, oh, <laughs> that, that that is my per peak. I uh, I just can't. I can't. And, and so people good. who whine for no fucking reason, you know, like 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 you Complainous. know. Oh my God! Like oh my God! I just fucking broke up with my boyfriend. Like, dude, really? Like that's your fucking problem? <laughs> like, like, like no, wrong, wrong audience. Oh, <laughs> wrong audience. Wrong audience. You know. Uh, oh, I'm broke. <laughs> Bitch, stop fucking buying shit you don't need. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, it's very that's simple. Amazing. You want me to do your freaking, uh, your budget? Time. Like, things God, like that. Amazing. Yeah, I picked up this. I picked up on you earlier when you were talking about it. It's like, you, you definitely don't live with a victim mentality at all. But, but you know what? I used to. Mm. So I'm not going to even say that I, I didn't. I used to. In, in I think in some aspects of my life, and I want to say even in my marriage, I did because mm. when in in and this I'm being one hundred percent honest because this is one of the things that with that if I have to look back, I would change. I would example right in my marriage. Uh, I and when I learned one thing amazing about my husband that he taught me and it stays with me forever. I would when he will have a problem or whatever we will be talking about, I'll be like, yeah, but I went through worse and like, you know, like, you know, look at me, whatever. And then one thing that he said to me that stayed always and will always stay to me is like, not because your pain looks worse doesn't mean that my pain is any different. Yeah. Because we all pain. Because everybody feels different. Like I could just go and slap Mike and and he could be like, that's the worst thing that ever happened to his life, but that's his pain. You know, it doesn't mean that his slap is any worse than mine. Yeah. Yeah. And accept them for who they are. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Uh What's something people would be surprised to learn about you? A special hobby, talent, uh, interest? I don't know. Are you a, a Star Trek fan? Like, what would they be surprised to find out? Oh, Jesus. That, oh, man. Well, I, I literally know how to do everything. And it's, I'm not saying it for, I know how to, uh, I know how to sew. I know how to draw. And I really learned it on my own, watching fucking videos and stuff like that. Like, I, I do a lot of everything. I, I don't think there's one thing I cannot do. 
You a fisherman? Can you fish? I can fish. Fuck it. Give me a pole. I'll fish. <laughs> I'll learn. I'll Google that shit and I'll learn. It. <laughs> fish. The old GTS Google that shit. <laughs> uh, so good. So good. What is uh, your go-to song? Oh, oh my god! For, for what? Wait, wait a second. Go-to song for what? For motivation? For like? Yeah, let's do that. Times. Like, like, let's say since you know how to do everything, and let's say somehow you got in like a the boxing ring. What would be do song? motivation? Yeah, let's not go darkness right now. Not melancholy. Uh, but, 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 but I will say this: there is this song that I've been listening to maybe ten times a day. Okay. And ever since my husband had passed away and is by a N E E S that's his name and is leave me. Mm. And it's a N E E S. Aness. Aness. Sounds right. I don't want to freaking spell or pronounce that shit wrong because it could be English or something. So anus, like it's like it's pronounced anus. Anus. I'm being I'm being a douche. Okay. So leave me. Leave me. And it talks in in um I originally started listening to it because it remind me of my husband, what he would probably say to me, mm. but then oh. it has turned down into me saying it to him and kind of, it takes accountability of things about life and, like, and it could just, uh, it could just kind of go everywhere. Like you could really apply it to everything about like taking responsibility ownership about what you have done to others for others to do, to do, what, however they react, you know, like either if it's for work or anything, like I really apply it to everything. So that song, I listened to it, honestly, even before in the morning, the podcast, uh, before I, I got, I was up, I listened to it like 10 times and I think about it and I really go like, okay, what in my life have I have, do I need to do to kind of never make somebody feel like, you know, I'm not leaving you because I don't love you. I'm leaving because I, I think you deserve better. So I apply it to absolutely everything. It's kind of weird, but in my way that fucking works. <laughs> I love it. No, it's not weird. Yeah. It's good. No, Go it's Jay. great. It's perfect. Uh, all right. One more. <clears throat> oh, this is good. I mean, you're writing a ton. It's coming out. You know, book about you, but let's say they license a TV show or a movie about you. Who would you want to play you? God, that's oh, so that's great. because you can't fucking you can't copy perfection. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? It will. I. It's not so much uh, what somebody will have to look. I will have to really dig into the the potential of being able to transform transfer the meaning of every single emotion mm. aspect of it for because a person anybody could probably play me you know i mean well not everybody but you know but what i'm saying is that it will have to be somebody who could who probably most likely had to been through a lot of stuff to be able to portray that type of character mm. yeah. and that crazy like me <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean hey I mean, Mike, you've done the acting training. I've done it. I mean, how much you know have who, you to know, draw from our lives? You know, right? but you know who would play? Um, she's not the right look, um, but you know the kind of actress that would do you well. Um, the girl that played in Monster, Charlene. Um, Charlize yes. Theron. 
Yeah. Yeah, because she has such a great depth of uh, mm-hmm. not not I'm saying not physical, but I'm saying she knows how to transform. Uh-huh. You need to find something, you know what I'm saying? Or like, it's yeah, like, like you know, you, you look you look at Heath Ledger, there's no way anyone expected him to play such a good joker. You need someone that can go into the subconscious and and the, the one of my favorite, well, two of my favorite actors, well, there's three, but my, my two favorites are Christian Bale. Uh-huh. Um, I love Christian Bale because you lose Christian Bale and obviously Daniel Day-Lewis mm-hmm. because Daniel Day-Lewis, you never see Daniel Day-Lewis. You just see the character. And I remember when I was watching uh, a friend of mine was involved in the movie The Fighter and mm-hmm. he said, um, did you see it? I said, I haven't seen it yet. So when I watched it, 20 minutes in, I didn't. I knew who Mark Wahlberg was and he can act, but he's not a character actor. I didn't know it was Christian Bale. And I was like, wait, and I had to stop it and then go and then go and look at the guy on YouTube who was the actual brother. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, like this is Dickie. This is him. So yeah. you would have to find a young character actor that could really transcend and uh, whether they've gone through the trauma or not, as long as they understand the trauma. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? As long as they understand how to, like you said, everyone, a slap in the face to, to in my face, maybe nothing, but a slap in your face, maybe something. As long as they can understand on a, on a subconscious level the effects of what your past has done to you and your motivation, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, it'd be a great character. Yeah. But um, great questions, Jay. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, I'm all right at what I do. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm your basic household name. I mean, we got so much. Darlene, thank you for doing this. Mike, thanks for co-hosting. We've been talking about this perfect scenario to do this. I mean, we've got so much that we could dig into. We'll have to do a part two down the line. I mean, we have a we have a big gap in time there. We didn't even get into motherhood and, you know, all this stuff. So. Yeah, we'll definitely do a part two because there's other stuff going on right now uh, that this will spin off into some some really good stuff. It's it's really good. But I, I, you know, we're friends for since 1997. So I just appreciate you taking the time and just being honest. It's hard. This stuff is difficult. And thank you for just being honest and vulnerable because I know it sucks, but what um, I'm going to leave you guys with this. So, Epictetus, people people listen to Epictetus. He was a great philosopher, you know. And what people don't realize is that Epictetus was banished. Uh, he was a slave hmm. and his master allowed him to learn Stoicism. And uh, he was beaten so bad that um, one, he was paralyzed and could barely walk. And then during, I think it was, uh, I don't know the exact date, but it was like, uh, I think it was 80 AD, um, they banished all philosophy from uh, from Greece at the time. So he went and lived in the mountains. He never wrote anything down at Victus, and he would do these lectures, had a little school in Rome, and uh, his student would come in and watch him and and then write down, and they, they came up with eight books, which they translated into four. And what people don't realise is, is that... <laughs> He talks about resilience and talks about being this great character. And I was the other morning, I was like, you know, I was struggling with sciatic pain and stomach issues and just struggling. You know? I was just in my own head, you know. And I thought, I'm listening to this guy. And I'm like, wait, uh, everyone has made money off this guy's 
words and written books that he never published. He just spoke and he had the most miserable life, but he didn't look at it as miserable. Mm-hmm. And General Stockdale was a famous general that got in a situation and he was coming down into Vietnam territory and he had discourses, Epictetus's book, and he's like, we're in for it. And he was a prisoner of war for eight years. Mm. And he read Epictetus's books <laughs> and he said to everyone, it's as good, this could be as good as it's going to get. And, and when they interviewed Stockdale afterwards, they asked Stockdale this incredible thing and they said, you know, you must have been really optimistic and positive you know, every day. And he said, no, it doesn't work like that. When you're faced with extreme trauma and adversity at this level, and you're in a prison of war camp, or you're like Viktor Frankl who went through four uh, concentration camps when Hitler, you know, in Auschwitz. He says, it's not about that because if you're too optimistic and too positive, what happens is you tell yourself, I'm going to get out by Christmas. I'm going to get out by Christmas. And Christmas comes, you don't get out, you lose hope. The key is you have faith, you'll get through the moments. Mm Mm-hmm. Because all we have in reality is this podcast in the moment. Mm-hmm. So the key to life is just getting through this moment. Mm-hmm. That's it. And when you listen to the great philosophers and all these guys, they didn't get famous or try to get famous mm-hmm. from the work they did. Mm-hmm. All they did is they were able to stay in the moment. And then we discovered their works later. And we made them famous. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get through this moment on this podcast today, and we're okay right now. That's all that matters. Amen, sister. <laughs> okay, that's all we have to do. That is get through today, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Darlene, thank you for uh, uh, you know trusting me too for this platform to be so vulnerable. I'm I'm honored. I appreciate it, and I so look forward to getting to know you more. Uh, you're, you, I enjoy the hell out of you. So it's nice to have this new friendship. I love you already. Oh, thank you. Love you too, honey. I appreciate that. It's going to look really good. It's going to look really good. And yeah, Just don't forget the filters for the love of Christ. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're going to edit the whole Hold the on. Podcast. Let me do my sign off and then you guys Stop. can bitch. On Stop. that <laughs> note, keep knocking doors down, people.